All right, well, it is a pleasure to be with you this morning, and um, I am trusting that as we uh, dig into God's Word, we will be blessed. Um, it was very uh, providential that we sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness, um, this morning, because our topic is living our lives in light of eternity. And I also think that this passage, as we get into it, even though it's not an expressly Christmas message, will be very applicable to this time of year as well. So um, just want to say very quickly, I did complete a December prayer letter um, this week, and I was going to bring a copy with me when I came. I forgot to do that, so I will email that um, to Dennis and... Then you'll have that next week, Lord willing. Uh, if you want to read it before then, you can go to my blog at speakingforhim.blogspot.com. And it is posted there, just giving you a little bit of an update of what's going on right now in my ministry and what I anticipate in the coming new year, if the Lord is willing. So, but um, let's open in a word of prayer and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your house today. We thank you for the opportunity we had earlier to break bread together and to just rejoice in this remembrance that you've given us of your wonderful uh, goodness to us because how quickly we are to forget. Lord, may we be reminded today how much you do care for each of us and uh, Lord, I thank you for these saints here in Holland and how they care for me and just bless them for it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, our first, um, as I said, the title of this message is Jesus Talks About Living This Life in the Light of Eternity. And our first point, if you're taking notes, is do not worry. It's, it's, it's just that clear. Um, Luke 12, 22 to 28. And by way of introduction, I uh, just want to say that um, this time of year, although it is a joyous time, can be a time when we begin to worry and stress because there's a lot of things that we do in association with the holiday of Christmas which in themselves are not bad, but if we're not careful, can draw us away from its true meaning and its true significance. So I think it, it's, it's quite significant that this is the part of uh, Luke that we are drawn to today. So we're going to start reading in Luke 12, verse 22. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then, being not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. 
They toil not, nor do they, they toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God then so clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And this is a particularly challenging thing to me because um, when I graduated from college, uh, my, my main focus was kind of like a lot of Americans, which is I need um, to find a good job so that I can set up a household so that I can raise a family. And that is not bad in and of itself. I still have aspirations to that. But as I went through the first couple of years after college, I began to realize that the money isn't the important thing. That if I'm not doing what God called me to do, it doesn't matter how many zeros I might be able to attain in the paycheck. And I can tell you right now that I'm more content today, even though I would like to see my income rise a little bit, than I've been in a long time because I know when I wake up in the morning, the things that I have to do are things that God has called me to do. And then if I do them to the best of my ability, he will open up more doors. And as we continue to go through this passage, we will see this. So let's look at a few thoughts here. Um, and of course, last time, we talked about the rich man who, who had fared sumptuously. He had a bunch of grain. And instead of saying, who can I give this to? He said, I'll build bigger barns so that I can store it away. And then I can take my ease and say, soul, you're happy. You have much. You don't need to work anymore. And God said to him, I will take away that which you have. And your soul will be required of you this night. Because his focus was not on what should I do with this money to benefit others or to do the will of the Lord. His focus was on taking his ease. A lot of times people talk about saving for retirement. And, well, there are certain elements which I would not begrudge anyone. If you work hard for years and years, being retired can be a blessing. But I think especially in God's economy, there is no such thing as retirement. There may be a change in the direction of our life in some respects, but we should be serving the Lord, and as we talked about in the song, Faith is the Victory, fighting and contending for the faith until the day that God calls us home. And so as we come to this passage... Jesus is just continuing to elaborate on what we've already been discussing. But he says, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body more than raiment. And then I find it interesting that he says, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them, how much better are you than the fowls? And we read elsewhere that Jesus said, 
if two sparrows fall to the ground, God knows it. And I remember that being comforting to me last year when my service dog of many years, Lindy, passed away. That God cares about the animals. He saw Lindy die. And I don't know um, how it's all going to work with animals in heaven, whether it's going to be animals we know or not, but I do know that he cares for them. And so it's good to know that he cares for them. And if he cares for them, how much more does he care for us? Because we are the only part of creation that is made in God's image. See, the world sees that we are the most advanced of the animal kingdom. That somehow, through a product of chance, we rose to the top of the food chain and we preside here um, as just another animal. But God says that he breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and we became a living soul. And a soul is something that an animal does not possess. But I think it's interesting also that he brought up the ravens because does anybody recall in the Old Testament who fed Elijah by the brook Kareth? The ravens. Now, that was, I'm sure, miraculous. I'm sure ravens don't uh, routinely drop meat from the sky for people. But I find it interesting that the ravens are who God goes, or Jesus goes to, to give us an example. He says they don't have barns. They don't have storehouses. They don't have savings accounts. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he goes into one which in some ways is kind of comedic, but it's an interesting thought because we all have things about our, our physical features that we would like to change. And he says, And which of you, taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? Now, I happen to be the oldest in my family, but I also happen to be uh, one of the shortest. And so, you know, I always tease my... Siblings, I say, well, if I hadn't, God hadn't put me in a wheelchair, I probably would have been much taller. And I tell people that I have a 6'4 glorified body on hold in heaven. I don't know if that's the case, but it is something that I've thought about um, that I am short, but I can't do anything to change it. Just like I can't do anything to change the fact that I'm in a wheelchair. This is something that God before ordained that I would walk through in this life. And then he says, if you then, being not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? And so he's saying, I don't think of adding a cubit to your height as being a least thing. It doesn't seem like it'd be an easy thing. But he's saying, compared to your need for food and raiment, this is a minor thing. So why are you concerned about the greater things? And then he goes into the weather. I was just talking to one of the brothers during the break how God is faithful and he gives us fall after summer and he gives us winter after fall and when the winter's over, spring will come. These are testaments to God's faithfulness. 
Even the snow, as much as I don't like it, is a testament to God's faithfulness. Because we know that it protects the ground in the cold weather, and we know that it does its work to clean the earth and prepare it for spring. So he talks about the lilies of the field and that they're beautiful. They have more beauty than Solomon in all his glory. Jesus liked to talk about, um, uh, give us pictures that we could think about. And people obviously knew Solomon as the wisest man who ever lived. And he said in all the glory that Solomon had, the lilies have more. And then he says, if God cares about clothing the grass, which doesn't last very long, because it gets cut and then is cast into the oven or thrown into the compost pile, wherever your grass goes after you mow it. If God cares about that, how much more will he clothe you? And I am constantly reminded, as I live this life in a faith ministry, that God is faithful. He always provides, not on my schedule, you know, because I want to know what income's coming in for the month on the first day of the month. And he says, be patient. Wait for me to provide. And he always does. And I'm so thankful for that. And I think about the fact that some people have more money. Some people have money in the millions. And I think about, well, why, God, why couldn't you just bless me with one million? You know, that, that would be a good start. But then I realize God knows what we can handle. There's a verse in the Proverbs that talks about, don't give me too much lest I forget you. Don't give me too little lest I curse you. Give me just enough so that I can walk with you. And that's, that's an Andrew Gomison paraphrase of a verse in Proverbs chapter 30. But that's the general idea. And so we see Jesus just laying this out. Do not worry. I will provide for you. There's a verse in Romans that we just went through for our discipleship group this past week. It says, if God did not withhold his own son for us but delivered him up for our sins how shall he then not also freely or graciously give us all things if he gave us the ultimate which was his son why would he leave us without other resources I don't think the idea is that we should struggle necessarily financially in order to be a good Christian. I think sometimes that can be a twisted uh, teaching that can come out of pulpits. Because you'll notice that the emphasis should not be on how much we have, but on what we do with it and how content we are with what we have. Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4, he says, I know how to abound. I know how to have plenty. I know how to have little. And he said, whatever state I'm in, whether I have plenty or whether I have little, I am resolved to be content. 
Because Paul had that mindset, he was able to win every single day. He didn't have to say, well, I'm losing today because I didn't have the plenty that I had yesterday. No, he, he said, I am content because my contentment doesn't rest in my checkbook. It rests in my Savior, Jesus Christ. Could someone look up Hebrews 13.5? Hebrews 13.5, just another admonition for us not to worry. Um, we're not sure who wrote Hebrews, but there's a lot of richness in there. Some people say, say it was Paul, um, but whoever it was, God really inspired them to write these words. So if somebody has that, Hebrews 13.5. Be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. The psalmist in Psalm 23 put it this way, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So we need to realize that whatever income level we're at, whatever God has given us, he will provide for us. And he's the one that, that gives us the sustenance to live each day. And so I think, especially for a Christian, God's not going to give you more, um, enough money that you would stop acknowledging Him. If you, you know, if, I, I would like to say that I would, I would do right by having that much money, but God knows. God knows how much I need to rely on Him. And so He will put me through whatever He needs to put me through to make sure that he is indeed who I'm relying on. So, first challenge of today, do not worry. I don't know the source of this quote, but it says this. Why worry when you can trust? It is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but doesn't get you anywhere how much I need to remember this. I should probably print this quote up, stick it on the wall in my room, because I have um, struggled with worry um, a lot. But like I said, every time I start to worry, God blesses me anyway, and I'm gently reprimanded by the graciousness of others that there was nothing to worry about in the first place. Okay, point number two. God will take care of you. So our first point was do not worry. Our second point is God will take care of you. Luke 12, 29 to 34. And seek ye, and seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourself bags, which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, nor moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Again, some really good truth here. He kind of reiterates what he already said. You know, some people, when God reiterates um, something, you know, a while back I was in a church and we were studying through the Psalms. And the original thing was we were going to study through all the Psalms. Well, then one of the leaders said, well, the, the Psalms often repeat themselves, so we don't really need to study every Psalm. And while in, in some ways I agree with that, there are other ways in which I would say to you, when God says something, it's important. When he repeats himself, he repeated himself for a reason. He repeats himself because it's very important. You know how many times in the Old Testament, Jesus, God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Israel, or out of Egypt. Over and over again, he would tell the children of Israel, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Why? Because they always forgot. And that's why we are given the Lord's table. Because Jesus doesn't want us to forget what he did for us. And we wouldn't want to forget anyway. Because he is so good to us. Anyway, he says this. Seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. Again, I'm challenged by that. I've seen God work throughout my life and the life of my family, and yet I often find myself in a doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and yet your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. Do we realize that? Do we ever stop to contemplate that God knows our needs? Um, uh, George Mueller was a great example of this. George Mueller, when he was a young man, pursued becoming a preacher because in his day in London or in England where he grew up the preachers got the, the highest salaries and he said I want money so I want to be a preacher well then the Lord who he was supposed to be lifting up as a preacher if he became a preacher got a hold of him and he realized that his focus was wrong. And even as a young Christian, he went through some hit and miss. He confesses in one of the biographies that I read that he played the lottery to try to discern the will of God in his early Christian life. But through his experiences and through the, the, what he perceived as his weakness, which was the pursuit of money, 
he determined that he would not ask anyone for donations toward his causes, toward the orphanages that he ran. And yet, estimates say that per probably two or three million dollars, by modern equivalent, went through his hands for the care of many, many orphans. Because he trusted God, and he did what God asked him, and just as Hudson Taylor realized, he discovered that God's work, done God's way, will never lack God's resources. You know, sometimes, sometimes we, we, if we're not getting the resources that we want, we, we have this pressure to be more modern. You know, that's a big thing in churches today. We need to be more modern. We need to draw more people in. But what that usually means is that we water down the gospel. And yes, we may get more people in, but if their, if their lives are not changed by the word of God, then numbers don't matter. Because you can go to hell sitting in church every Sunday morning just as easily as you can go to heaven doing the same thing if the focus is on the church. If the focus is on feeling good. You know, there's a lot of bad news in the Bible. And as a preacher, it's my job to preach the bad news. But as we understand the bad news, then we can understand the good news. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. You will not understand the love of God fully until you understand the judgment of God. The fact that God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to take our judgment upon himself because we did not deserve anything. God could have been justified in sending that worldwide flood and wiping out everyone, including Noah. And we know in the chapters following the flood that Noah was not a perfect man. Because he, what does he do after the flood is over? He plants a vineyard and gets drunk and is found naked in his tent. It wasn't about Noah's works. It was about grace. The words say Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we, too, can find grace. And then he says, For after all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of them. And then he says, This is how it's supposed to go. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. I think this is significant because he's not saying that food and raiment are a bad thing. If you look in the Proverbs, you will find that he's not even saying preparation is a bad thing. He says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, who gathereth her food for the winter. So, preparation is not bad. But the focus is, Lord, I'm going to prepare, knowing that you have provided knowing that you will guide and direct. And then he says, Fear not, little flock, 
for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's a verse in the Proverbs also that says, The blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Now, of course, I know that this verse is not just talking about material wealth. It's talking about a kingdom in heaven where the Bible says in Revelation we will reign as kings and priests. We will, I believe we will come to earth and rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years and then beyond that, time beyond time. You know, even seculars will say, I want peace on earth. There just needs to be peace on earth. Well, the only peace that can be found in earth is through the Prince of Peace, Christ Jesus. And it's only going to come ultimately when he sets his foot back on this planet. See, he didn't create this planet just to create it and leave it. Because he's going to rule and reign on this earth, on this planet, on a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to rule. And that's also the only one world government that will ever work. So, he's saying, trust me, and I will give you what you need. I will give you the kingdom. And then he says, sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth nor moth corrupteth. I find it interesting that he says, sell what you have, but he, in this particular case, he doesn't sell, say sell everything you have. There's an Old Testament principle of the tithe, which means 10% belongs to God. That's the Old Testament principle. And a lot of times people try to bring it to the New Testament, and that's what they try to give, and it's not a bad guideline for giving your tithe. But the emphasis in the New Testament is more along the lines of, as God prospers you and as he shows you needs, give to others. The Bible says that if we lend to the poor, we give to the Lord. And he knows what you give, and he will provide for you to give. But as with everything else, we need balance. Being generous with our finances does not mean abdicating, abdicating our family responsibilities. Jesus had very harsh words for the Pharisees when he said... You, you take all, all your money and you tell your, your parents, I, you know, instead of helping to care for them, you say, it's a gift to God, and you give it to the temple, and you neglect them. And he said, you say you're following the commandment, but you're neglecting the weightier commandment. Because what did God say in the law? He said, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the earth. And he also said, <coughs> it's the first commandment with a promise. So he wants us to care 
for the needs of those who he has entrusted us with. Um, and then 34 basically sums it all up, this whole section. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, if you try to keep up with the material possessions of other people, number one, they're always changing. There's always something better. You drive your car off the lot, and the newest model is there. You buy a computer, and there's a cooler one in the next catalog. So if, if it's about that, instead of about what you can do with it, then you have the wrong focus. And it's kind of interesting because even when I get something as a gift, specifically when I'm thinking about technology, I do pray and say, Lord, how can I honor you with this? I know it sounds weird, but I do it because I want to maintain the right focus with the gifts that I've been given. Am I 100% on that? No. I sometimes miss the mark. But God is gracious. But the overarching principle is that if you invest in now, now is all you have. If you give to others and to organizations and to people with an eternal focus, you're investing in later and investing in heaven. There's an old song that I used to love to sing. I don't sing it as much anymore because Ray Boltz, the man who wrote it, um, has gone away from the Christian walk in a very significant way. But it talked about someone going to heaven or, or having a dream about heaven and then realizing the people that they touched when they didn't even realize it here on earth. We are only a small part of God's plan. But perhaps we may be a bigger part than we realize. I've probably told this story before here about there was a big snowstorm for a church. One of the deacons lived nearby, and so he was kind of the highest-ranking church official that was there that morning. And there were only a few people, including a young man who worked for a shoe shop. And people thought about not having service that day, but that deacon said, well, there's a handful of people here. Let's have a service. He preached, and D.L. Moody came to know the Lord as a result of that sermon. And he had a great ministry throughout the world, preaching the gospel. Because that one deacon who didn't see himself as a preacher got up and shared a short sermon. So you never know. Andrew, he's barely mentioned in the Bible. But it's significant where he's mentioned because he goes to his brother Peter and he says... Peter, Simon, we have found the Messiah. And he brings Simon to Jesus. And Simon 
was one of our early church fathers who turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And we know that Andrew was a martyr for the gospel as well. But Andrew fades into the background. But his brother was one of the early church fathers and was brought there by Andrew. What a testimony. Can we look at Psalm 8411? Psalm 8411. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk in grace. This is another challenging scripture. There's a lot of challenging scriptures today. It's an encouragement, though, when he said, when God says, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. In other words, all the good that I need to have today, I have. Do I look for certain things in the future? Yes, I do. But I can know that all the good that I need today, I have. Okay. Here, here's an interesting poem by a lady named Audrey Muir. It says, Be not troubled with thoughts of the morrow, of duties you surely must do. On the Lord cast your burden of sorrows. It matters to him about you. Be not weary when trials are given, but trust him to carry you through. He will make all a pathway to heaven. It matters to him about you. Then be patient until his appearing, till dawn almost now in your tis dawn almost now in your view. For the midst of this dark age are clearing. In love he is planning for you. Jesus is planning a future for us in heaven and beyond that is above anything we could ever imagine. Our third point, quickly, Luke twelve thirty-five to 40. Jesus goes from there to talking about his second coming. And he says, Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, then he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth to serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them, so... Blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good man of the house had known which hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not suffered his house to be broken into. Be ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. We need to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Are you ready? Have you made things right with the Lord? My hope and prayer is that you have. That you've trusted Jesus Christ 
as your personal Lord and Savior because he's the only way to heaven. People say there is no hell, so there's nothing to fear if we don't make a decision for Christ. But Jesus talked about hell more than he did about heaven. And he talked about how it's a place where the worm dies not and the fire is never quenched. This is not colorful language, folks. This is the truth. So my question to you is, are you ready to meet him? Could someone look up Romans 13, 11? Romans 13, 11, continuing on this point of looking for his coming. You know, this is one of the main things that caused me to, main scriptural truths that caused me to start speaking for him. Because I realized that there are a lot of people who name the name of Christ who don't live like it. It used to be that people would walk away from Christianity because they didn't believe what it taught. Now they just fix it. And make it say what they want it to say. Such as Rob Bell. When he wrote Love Wins. You know I read that book. And there's nothing about confession. Or repentance anywhere in it. I believe love wins. Why does love win? It wins because the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus Christ for our sake. That's why love wins. We need to speak about the wrath of God without fear. In the book Pilgrim's Progress, the first admonition that Pilgrim is given is to flee from the wrath. Wrath is coming, folks. People always say that God is love. Yes, he is love. But Jesus is coming, it says in Revelation, with a sword. And then his day of grace will be over and his wrath will be poured out. Are you ready? In Warren Wearsby's Meet Yourself in the Psalms, he tells about a frontier town where a horse bolted and ran away with a wagon carrying a little boy. Seeing the child in danger, a young man risked his life to catch the horse and stop the wagon. The child who was saved grew up to be a lawless man, and one day he stood before a judge to be sentenced for a serious crime. The prisoner recognized the judge as the man who years before had saved his life, so he pled for mercy on the basis of that experience. But the words from the bench silenced his plea. Young man, then I was your savior, today I am your judge, and I must sentence you to be hanged. One day, Jesus will say to rebellious sinners, During that long day of grace, I was the savior, and I would have forgiven you. But today, I am your judge. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. 
So the question is, are you going to accept Jesus now as your Savior, or are you going to wait till later when you'll bow before Him, but it will be too late, and He will be your judge, and He will be obligated by justice to, to sentence you to eternity in the lake of fire. It's a choice that we all must make. I'm going to pray, and then I wonder if we might close with number 144 in the Red Book, Joy to the World. It's kind of a Christmas song, but it also speaks of the second coming of the Lord, so I think it fits very well with our message. So I will, I will close in prayer, and then if we can end with that song, that would be much appreciated. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you provide for us. We thank you that you already know how you're going to provide for our daily needs and that often you do so above and beyond what we could even imagine, and we thank you for that. I, Lord, I pray that if there be anyone here that does not know the Christ of Christmas, that they would come to know him so that this can be their best Christmas ever, a, a Christmas where they know peace on earth and goodwill toward their fellow men. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.